and welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name's Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast that covers brand new movies out in theaters, VOD, streaming services, wherever you're getting your brand new movies. I will cover at least a few of them on that podcast. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast, and you can find a link to that at my website, quipster.net. Today, we're going to be kicking off a three-part series, kind of spinning off of Greystoke, which was my previous episode, to look at films of the 1980s that feature apes as some of the main protagonists of the film. Obviously, Greystoke does qualify for that. It's a Tarzan movie. What more do you expect? This three-film set is going to kick off with another Tarzan film from the 1980s. From 1981, Tarzan, The Ape Man. Very notorious film for a lot of reasons. It's an R-rated film. It does have nudity, sensuality, violence, and language. The runtime is an hour and 55 minutes. Bo Derek is the main star. Richard Harris, Miles O'Keefe, John Philip Law fill out sizable supporting roles. John Derek, Bo Derek's husband, is the director, the screenplay credited to Tom Rowe and Gary Goddard. Now, according to Bo Derek, the idea for making Tarzan the Ape Man actually came from her husband, John, back in 1979. She had made a massive splash appearing in Blake Edwards' film called Ten. And after that, she was red hot. She grew inundated with offers to star in a lot of big budget films. Brenda Starr, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle... Before the release of 10, she had already signed on to something else, though, to do afterward. She was 23 years old, a big rising star. She accepted this offer for $100,000 by producer Martin Ransahoff for this supporting role in a film called A Change of Seasons. Shirley MacLaine and Anthony Hopkins were starring in that film, but for all intents and purposes, people saw it as the Bo Derek movie. Despite a tumultuous shoot for A Change of Seasons, Ransahoff still offered Bo a million dollars to work with him again, and he even proposed that her actor-turned-photographer husband, John, he could direct if he joined the Directors Guild. And John did join the Guild, but in the interim, Bo's asking price rose beyond what Ransoff would pay, $1.5 million, which was okay with Bo. She had a lot of disagreements with Martin Ransoff. Now, former James Bond producer was one of the people who offered Bo something. Harry Saltzman, he pursued Bo for his lavish production, tentatively titled Monte Carlo. She was to play the daughter of John Derrick's second wife. Bo Derrick is his fourth wife. The second wife being Ursula Andrus, who would play the mother. The project would dissolve because Ursula Andrus wanted to have a baby with her new beau, Harry Hamlin. They had met on the set of Clash of the Titans and wanted to start a family. Richard Brooks offered Bo $5 million for a two-picture deal, and the first was going to be this lady wrestling film called Tag Team. Bo declined that film, and Brooks took the offer off the table because she didn't have confidence in herself to carry this high-profile movie made by a serious director at that time. Paul Schrader also pursued Bo. He wanted her to play the lead role in Cat People that would later go on to star Natasha Kinski. Marvel Comics, they also pursued Bo Derek. They wanted her to star in this kickoff to a new character whose appearance that they had created in her likeness this disco-infused mutant named Dazzler. 
Bo agreed, based on the treatment that she had read by Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. He had written that for an animated special for Filmworks that they had decided to potentially make into a live-action movie with Casablanca Records as the studio. But after the bidding war for the project commenced, Bo declared that she was only going to do the film if her husband, John, was going to direct. You know, John really didn't think it was the right fit for Bo at the time, and Bo was having second thoughts and was doing everything she could to not do it. And eventually, with Bo Derek not going to do it, or with John Derek going to direct, even though he had no real practical experience, the investors decided to back out. And so the Dazzler film dissolved after that. Now, Bo was not an actress. She knew she could never be a good one, no matter how much she tried. She only intended to make enough money appearing in movies to buy a large ranch with horses and other animals and then get out of the business for good. And despite these overwhelmingly generous offers, she decided that it was better to make smaller films her way than to be in these big movies that everyone, including her, would be unhappy to see. Inspired by one of the scripts that she'd received for Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, John Derrick felt... That was a really boring concept. It was just Tarzan as a woman. But he told Bo what would be interesting would be to see a Tarzan film told from Jane's point of view. And it could be called Me Jane, You Tarzan. With women's lib a hot topic at the time, it seemed a very timely idea. And at this point, all John had was a title and this ending where Jane says to Tarzan that it's time to start thinking about boy. I guess that's suggesting that they start a family or procreate or whatever you want to say. But... As they worked on an outline for Me, Jane, You, Tarzan, John began to envision the beginning of this film with Bo wearing a Gibson Girl outfit. And then as the film ran on, she would wear less and less clothing because it would get tattered as she traversed through the jungle. The Derek's friend, Marty Baum, he took the Me, Jane idea to the studios. These studios all wanted to make a movie with the red-hot Bo Derek, but the rights for Tarzan belonged to at that time, Warner Brothers, because they had bought the rights for Robert Town to develop this Tarzan project called Greystoke. MGM, though, interestingly, did have rights in perpetuity to remake their 1932 film called Tarzan the Ape Man because of this contract that they had signed with Tarzan book author Edgar Rice Burroughs back in 1931. To avoid lawsuits, they had to follow the plot enough to qualify whatever film that they were going to make with the Derricks as a remake of that 1932 film. And after tinkering with other titles, Tarzan and Jane, or Jane the Ape Woman, or Tarzan the Ape Man, Kyphon, Me Jane, MGM told them they needed to revert the title to Tarzan the Ape Man. That was really the only way to stay in line with the remake strategy that they had in mind without the actual Tarzan rights. The Derricks went ahead and watched the original Tarzan the Ape Man film. And that starred Johnny Weissmuller as Tarzan and Maureen O'Hara as Jane Parker. That's Jane Parker in this film, not Jane Porter as she is in most Tarzan properties. They noticed that Tarzan is actually absent until about 60% of the way through this film. The story really did center more on Jane, and that fit perfectly into their plans for me, Jane. They envisioned Jane as this proper and prim woman who has a sexual awakening outside of the confines of civilization. She's this woman who thirsts for adventure, and the traits of this traditional Jane role were going to combine with the heroine from The Perils of Pauline. She would be athletic and confident and as capable as any man. Now, as part of the package deal, John Derrick would direct, but suggested that Bo should be the producer instead. 
MGM did not care about the details for that. They just wanted Bo's next picture. No matter what the roles, they were going to proceed forward with it. Bomb's friend and collaborator Helmut Dantine, he was a former actor who was one of the producers on the on the defunct Dazzler project. He would be an uncredited executive producer to kind of overlook things. Tom Rowe, he's a veteran screenwriter and a former film reviewer for Variety magazine. He wrote the initial script. Gary Goddard, he worked on the Dazzler script, at least for a while. Dantine brought him in here, and he would revise the Tom Rowe screenplay for Tarzan the Ape Man instead under John Derrick's constant supervision. Now, in the completed script, it's set in 1910, Jane Parker, played by Bo Derek, she's a virgin, she's a feminist, she thinks that women should be able to explore the world the same as men as an adventurer. She travels to Africa to find her father, the adventurer, renowned explorer named James Parker that she never knew. James, who abandoned Jane when she was an infant, thinks that Jane is the spitting image of his late wife, which brings up all manner of misplaced incestuous feelings. James is on the safari to find this fabled elephant graveyard where precious ivory exists, and Jane insists on coming along despite her father's protests. But in the vicinity is this primal ape man, Tarzan. He's yelling and he's making the native entourage nervous. They're forbidden to travel into this land occupied by the famous white ape man who stands, according to myth, 10 feet tall. And proceeding cautiously, Jane at one point bathes in the ocean and she attracts a ferocious lion and then gets saved by this mysterious ape man of myth in the flesh in front of her. James Parker determines that Tarzan is going to be his next kill, especially after he kidnaps Jane, although she seems, after seeing Tarzan, the hunky Tarzan, she seems more than willing to get caught. There's a lot more to the story than that, but this is not a film that you watch for the story, so I don't want to get too intricately involved for the purpose of this review and retrospective. Tarzan the Ape Man, it would become the first film under the Derek's production banner called Svengali Incorporated. That's kind of a, a cute title. John was called a Svengali in the press because of his controlling relationship with his wives, including Bo, and the Svengali logo, which was drawn by renowned artist Frank Frazetta. It depicts Bo using puppet strings to manipulate John in this kind of ironic twist, suggesting that she's the one in control in the relationship. MGM's president, Lou Rashmill, he suggested shooting their film at the Los Angeles County Arboretum, just like the original had. But the Derricks didn't want this pretend jungle or to use stock animal footage. They thought it would look cheap. They wanted this fantasy to seem like a reality. So they scouted locations around the world to try to find the most economical but safe place to make their picture their way. They first selected Brazil because it seemed safer and friendlier to shoot in than Africa or Thailand, which they had strongly considered. They could find a local in Brazil to play Tarzan because that role did not require speaking English or maybe even speaking at all. However, after scouting Brazil for two weeks, John felt that the Brazilian jungles were too dense and too dark to really capture the romantic fantasy that he had envisioned. Plus, it was too expensive to ship trained elephants from the United States to Brazil and then back again. Now, Kenya in Africa had all of the animals that they were looking for. But the government had a lot of restrictions. They needed permission to film anywhere close to these animals. And the president of Kenya, who they met with, ordered them to leave the country altogether because Bo corrected him during this press conference where he announced that a local Kenyan would play Tarzan. And she interrupted him and said, no, a white boy, an American, needed to play Tarzan. 
and he did not like that, so they were gone. In the end, they would choose Sri Lanka and the Seychelles Islands because they contained all of the vistas that they needed, and they had elephants there in abundance, although they were Asian elephants instead of African. It's a distinction that is very obvious if you know your elephants, but I think... A lot of people who are going into this movie are not going to care. They were also halfway around the world from the prying eyes of MGM, which they thought would be great for their first film. They also were trying to get away from Bo's stalker. She was being stalked by some strange guy who was sending dozens of sexually violent notes and letters to the Derrick home, and she just wanted to get away for a while anyway. The budget for Tarzan the Ape Man was set initially at $5.5 million, and they would have an abbreviated shoot of six and a half weeks. To make sure things went smoothly according to schedule, MGM insisted that they bring highly skilled Hollywood technicians along with them of their choice. So in addition to the actors, they brought along a film crew of about 23 people and a train lion, an orangutan, chimps, wolfhounds, and a python that they procured from Thailand. And they set about making this so-called African fantasy adventure come to life. Tarzan the Ape Man marked the first Hollywood production to substantially film in Sri Lanka since 1957's Bridge on the River Kwai. The Kwai crew, they had left behind a lot of items too costly to bring back to Hollywood, including a lot of lighting equipment and grips. Although this equipment was bulky by 1980 standards, the Derricks used this equipment to try to help make Tarzan on a much lower budget. In Sri Lanka, it was lovely to shoot in, but it was not without issues. For instance, they required snake beaters, which were these men who kept cobras away with these long bamboo sticks. They had to walk around with them wherever they went. Scorpions and snakes were invading their hotel rooms. Leeches got into the boots whenever they waded in rivers, and venomous water snakes came after them when they were in the nearby ocean. Also in the water were Asian monitor lizards that would deliver some pretty nasty bites if they got close enough. Mosquitoes were everywhere, and everyone in the casting crew pretty much suffered dysentery, at least except Bo. Dining out in the area proved pretty dangerous on its own, too. John Derrick, he got into a physical altercation with a couple of sailors nearby. They were intent on trying to take the girl away from the old guy. The local eateries were serving pretty unhealthy food. The cooked chicken still had feathers attached. The food had bugs in it. The steaks were often cooked very rare. Inadequate refrigeration for those meats. They were left outside and they attracted many flies. It just seemed very unhealthy. Enough for Bo to become a vegetarian during the shoot. And to save money, Bo fired the caterers. And she hired a runner to go out and retrieve the food for everybody every day. And the runner would bring back a lot of foods, mostly fruits and veggies, hard-boiled eggs, and bottled drinks. They wanted to stay away from some of the local cuisine and try to not get as sick as they had been early on. Now, once the shoot had started, things did not go well. They had trouble securing the 150 elephants that they had ordered, and they couldn't even obtain two elephants needed for the very first scene that they intended to shoot. A gorilla expert that they had brought along, he was hired to act in an ape suit. He would leave the film after refusing to be in any shots in which Bo exposes her bare breasts, and that was because of his born-again Christian beliefs. So the gorilla that they wanted, that was out of the picture. An owner of an orangutan who was not even in the film, he just happened to be some random orangutan owner, he sued the film for $20 million, claiming that the movie was ruining the reputation of his animal's public image. The Hollywood crew that MGM sent looked down on the Derricks as posers in the business. 
And the Derricks did not feel that they were professional either. They claimed that all of this crew was busy goofing around instead of working, and, and some of them seemed to hate being in the jungle because of the dangerous and substandard conditions. They weren't even contributing enough to justify their expense, so Bo fired them, most of them anyway. John gave armbands that read in gold print, I finished Tarzan to the crew members who were remaining at the end of the shoot. Now, in total, the Derricks fired 15 crew members early on, and they just wanted to forego Hollywood technicians altogether in favor of bringing family members and friends to help out. Bo's mother came and did hair and makeup and wardrobe, and Bo's sister became the assistant director. Bo's personal assistant, Ava Chun, who is known by fashionistas today as the fashion designer Eva Chow nowadays. She became the production manager at the time, even without any experience. The remainder of the Hollywood crew were given expanded assignments. Some of them had up to 10 different jobs to make up for what was no longer there. They even fired their Tarzan, former heavyweight boxer Lee Canalito. For Tarzan, MGM had originally pushed for rising star Treat Williams, but John Derrick wanted the six foot five Canalito after seeing him in this Sylvester Stallone movie called Paradise Alley. But once they got to the jungle and started filming, John felt that Candelito just did not have the right look to play Tarzan. He seemed a little bit out of shape. He had a knee injury that prevented him from swinging on vines gracefully. And when Candelito's stunt double had to leave because he had appendicitis, Bo released Candelito with full pay. They looked for a replacement. Sam Jones came to mind. Bo worked with him. He was her on-screen husband from the movie 10, but he was not available. So they quickly had screen tests for hundreds of hunks back in Hollywood, swinging from vines and watched the footage. Stunt coordinator Jock Mahoney, who played Tarzan in the 1960s, he recommended, based on these screen tests, a former college football player named Miles O'Keefe. O'Keefe could provide the requisite beefcake, and he would do his own stunts. O'Keefe's Tarzan didn't have any dialogue, so the wasn't any question as to whether they needed anybody who could act. Tarzan presumably, you know, has a voice. He emits this trademark Tarzan yell, but that yell is actually a loop from the cry that was used from the original Tarzan film. was not new to this film. O'Keefe, you know, he was good to look at, but he wasn't much of anything else. But he would earn his keep because the lion that they had brought in broke free from its tether and attacked the retreating bow in one of the scenes. Although the lion didn't have any claws, it still had very powerful paws that it was pummeling Bo with, and it actually bit her a little bit on the shoulder. It would have bitten her deeper, but O'Keefe had grabbed its body from lunging at the right moment, and Bo was able to get more into the ocean water than the lion would want to go. So O'Keefe and his strength did come in handy for the shoot. Now, for the evil Ivory King, the, the end boss at the end of this film, they originally cast six foot six inch, 440 pound Erlen van Lith de Jude after seeing him as Grossberger in Stir Crazy. Bo fired Erlen for refusing to shave his head as he had for Stir Crazy because he needed a full head of hair for another project he was signed on for, Quest for Fire. He actually didn't make that movie either, so he kind of was out of luck during that period. The making of Tarzan the Ape Man had brought a lot of legal troubles for the Derricks and for MGM. After Bo withdrew from another project that she had signed up for called High Road to China, that was during the period where she declared that she wanted to make films only with her husband, Raymond Chow's Golden Harvest threatened to sue Bo for breach of her half-million-dollar contract. Bo Derrick fired back, though, that her agreement included director approval and that replacing director Brian Hutton for High Road to China without her knowledge broke the agreement first. So they kind of parted ways more amicably. 
Meanwhile, Warner Brothers, the ones who acquired the Tarzan rights to make Greystoke, told them they should stop production. The descendants of Edgar Rice Burroughs sued MGM for copyright violations. They claimed that heirs like them had exclusive rights to the work of their ancestors. But MGM claimed that they were not making a film adaptation of Burroughs' work, but a remake of their own 1932 film for which they had obtained remake rights from Burroughs himself for $20,000 back in 1931. MGM had anticipated this would happen, and that is why they wanted the script to conform to the original film's plot as much as they could in anticipation of all of these legalities. The Burroughs estate shot back that the remake rights don't hold under revisions made to the Copyright Act, which voids the contract made in the 1930s. But the judge, while all of this was going on, was not going to stall the film's production because it might collapse. I mean, the prolonged lawsuit would make the Derricks move on to other things. The movie would cease to exist while waiting for this. So they let them continue to make the movie while he was deciding what to do. The judge also stipulated that the contract with the author did allow MGM to make countless remakes, as many as they wanted of that film, and the new copyright laws did not apply. The Burroughs family countered that what they were making was not even a Tarzan film. The one that they were making, Tarzan's a bit player, and that left the intent of the film solely as trying to find ways to get Bo Derek in a state of undress. This was a Bo Derek film, not a Tarzan film. The Burroughs estate pressed to have Tarzan taken out of the film altogether if they weren't going to make this a traditional Tarzan movie. The judge did not want to go to that extreme. He stated that there were enough plot elements carried over for this to be seen legitimately as a remake. The Burroughs family further stipulated that under the original contract, the remake had to be suitable for younger audiences and that MGM was really making what amounted to softcore pornography. Upon seeing the film footage, the judge, he did agree that there was too much erotic content to qualify as that, and he ordered trimming down all of the sex to adhere to the standards and the mores of the times that were stated in the contract. John Derrick, he refused to cut a single frame but under the terms of his contract with MGM, they had the rights to the final cut. He had no legal say in the matter. MGM wanted the film out during the summer of 1981, no matter what, because Tarzan the Ape Man was their only film set for the summertime release. And with a writer strike pending, they needed that revenue to tide them through not having any films available for a little while. After viewing the first studio edited cut, the judge asked for additional cuts to tone down its eroticism that they had not taken out. And for this, the judge went over all of the steamy footage that was left with the studio lawyers using a grease pencil to mark what they needed to trim. The Derricks, they were livid. They publicly charged the judge with censorship in the removal of all of Bo's nudity. Now, after all of these edits, the judge finally cleared the lawsuit. He reasoned that the 1932, the pre-code film, it was pretty racy for its time, and this new film could also be racy, given that there were a lot of changes in social mores over the 50 years since the first one was made. A movie made in the early 1980s would be more explicit. Now, after the judge made three minutes of cuts to their finished film, some who worked on the film joked that the judge should receive credit as nudity editor in the end credits. Due to this bitter experience, Bo just wanted to quit Hollywood. She thought making films with her husband was going to avoid all of these hassles, but it was even worse than she had ever experienced to that date. It just was not fun making movies. And it certainly wouldn't get any more fun once they started reading reviews. The film critics called Tarzan an abomination of filmmaking. The editors of Leonard Maltin's Film Guide, they remarked that 
They had actually considered devising a rating lower than Bomb, Bomb being their lowest rating, because of this movie. At the end of the year, it would receive six Golden Raspberry Awards. The Razzies. I talk about them quite often on this show. The Razzies, the mock awards given to the worst films every year. Tarzan the Ape Man received nominations for Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Actor, Richard Harris, Worst Actress, which Bo Derek won in a tie with Faye Dunaway. She had done Mommy Dearest, which took Worst Picture, Worst Screenplay, and Miles O'Keefe as Worst New Star. And despite the critical drubbing it received, the Derricks got the last laugh. Tarzan the Ape Man debuted at number one at the U.S. box office in its first week of release. And that was despite the fact that New York had delayed the release of the film until two weeks later. So they didn't even have that big market and still came in number one above Raiders of the Lost Ark in its seventh week. It scored $36.5 million in the United States off of a budget of under $7 million. And the reason why is because not only was Bo Derek hot at the time, but they gained a lot of publicity. Bo Derek had done a sizzling 16-page spread in the September 1981 issue of Playboy that was out on the newsstands at the time that heavily promoted the movie. There was also a publicity tour that featured CJ Clyde Jr., the oft-jealous orangutan used in the film. Orangutan, by the way, that's a head-scratcher. Orangutans are not native to Africa, even though this is set supposedly in Africa. CJ appeared on the cover of Playboy along with Bo, and they used him to roll out to talk shows and local news spots to gain even more publicity. When it was all said and done, in 1981, Tarzan the Ape Man was the 11th highest grossing film of 1981. It outgrossed things like Escape from New York and Clash of the Titans. I mean, you know, action blockbusters, potentially. Interestingly enough, though, not part of the publicity tour was Miles O'Keefe. Miles O'Keefe, they had him sign a contract in which he could not talk to the press at all about this film or about whatever he thought about the Derricks until two months after the release of Tarzan the Ape Man in theaters. I'm not sure why, though. He didn't really badmouth them even after that two months had expired. Now, I could go really overboard with how bad this film is. It is atrociously bad, I will say. But I will give a few compliments the film's way for some of the bells and whistles. John Derrick, he is a talented photographer. He really does nicely capture the jungle locations. And when those images are in unison with this very lush and appealing score by Perry Botkin, it looks good. As long as there's no dialogue on the screen, there are moments in here where it actually does kind of lull you into its you know jungle safari fantasy that works a little bit at the time. You do, though, have to just completely zone out if you're watching this film, because if you at all think about what's going on on the screen, it's just probably going to drive you nuts enough to ruin your viewing experience. You know, Bo Derek, even if you ask her, she's not a great actress, but I do think that she can be appealing within this very narrow, lighthearted range. She starts off in that range for a while until it gets a little bit serious, and then you realize, whoa, She's really not good at all. And for the first 45 minutes, I do think it actually is okay. You know, it's not horrible. But once Tarzan comes on the scene, which is really what most people are waiting for, the tedium and a lot of unintentional laughs began to grow and grow and grow. And then we get this third act that plays deadly and dramatic and absolutely moronic. And it becomes shockingly terrible and so mind-numbingly dull that it undoes even the prurient delights of Bo Derek and the rest of this film. I mean, this really is an abysmal film by almost any measure other than the eye candy. 
I mean, even a robust and energetic performance by Richard Harris, who normally could carry a movie, but this was a year prior to ending his drunken hell-raising days. His level of acting, even if you do feel he's committed to the role, it adds a lot of absurdity to the inconsistent tone of all of the other actors in this film. It really seems out of place compared to whatever else is going on. I think the worst scenes of this film are the use of slow-motion strobe effects during the action sequences. They're very prolonged. Some of them go on for whole minutes at a time. They pad the time to intolerable levels as as you watch Miles O'Keefe with a python around him in super slow-mo. It doesn't even look like they're fighting. And it goes on for like two and a half minutes. You know, if you want to get up and grab a beer, that's definitely the time to do it. I think Tarzan the Ape Man, when it's all said and done, is only going to appeal to viewers who just want to see the two gorgeous leads either nude or in various states of undress throughout most of this film, movie masochists probably enjoy this because they're watching one of the worst films that Hollywood has ever offered, and it's unashamedly so. So if you like really bad, almost rancid films, I think this definitely does qualify for your so-called ironic entertainment value. So this is a movie I cannot recommend to pretty much anybody. I mean, this is a really bad film. One I definitely do not intend to watch again, even though I had a lot of fun reviewing it. I'm going to give Tarzan the Ape Man one star. This is my first one-star review for this podcast. One star out of four means that I do think it's an abominable film that I do not recommend for anyone who does not intend to completely make fun of it for the entire duration. One star out of four for Tarzan the Ape Man. You know, but if you like this movie and you want to tell me why this is actually a good film, or at least one that deserves more than one star, you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, my Instagram. Any of those ways are adequate to get in touch with me if you prefer. Next week, I'm going to continue on with a film. Actually, it's not from the 1980s, but it gives you a clue as to what film I'm going to be doing after that. I'm going to go to 1976 for this one, for a John Gillerman film written by Lorenzo Semple Jr., and I'm not talking about Sheena, because I already talked about that one. It is King Kong from 1976, and that will be the film I review on the next episode. So check that out if you want to keep up with the movies as I get to the reviews. And until next time, thank you so much for listening and joining me on this trip around the world and through Africa by way of Sri Lanka and the Seychelles Islands. (laughs) in 80s movies.